Hi there, I'm Emily Jacks, founder and director of Generation Us, where we believe in millennials. You are listening to the Purposely Podcast, where we will be sharing some of the most amazing, inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and educators, all geared towards you powering up in every aspect of your life. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited to welcome uh, Emily Wallace today to the next episode in Purposely. I'm so excited to chat with her. We were laughing before because I said, I feel like I already know her, even though we've actually never met, but Emily is, if you didn't know, she's kind of a big thing on LinkedIn. She's a bit of a LinkedIn superstar. And um, I love listening to all of her content. She's got a really interesting story to tell. So I cannot wait to hear about where where she's right now and how she got there. So the first question I like to ask people is, if you were at a barbecue or a party and someone said, so what do you do? What would you tell them? It's a very good question and um, I do, well, I wish I could go to a barbecue um, to be asked this. So what I say is I am a personal shopper for family homes in its most simplest form and I advocate for the buyer. I represent the buyer in the real estate transaction. The vendor has a real estate agent in their court. Buyers have me and I help take the time, stress and emotion out of buying property. Wow, I wish I had a, had a buyer's advocate when I bought my first property because it was a very traumatic experience. And <laughs> traumatic. So uh, amazing. I think that something definitely that is needed out there. But mm. that's not, I'm, I'm kind of cheating here because I know, but that's not all that you do. Don't you also now teach people how to like use LinkedIn to build their profile and generate leads? So how, yes. how did you get into that? So I think when I wrote the like little brief for the business, when I put it on LinkedIn, it said, this is the business born out of the need. And the reason is that I use LinkedIn as a platform to educate people about a buyer's advocate because a lot of people don't actually know what we do. And yeah. as a consequence of that, I had people reaching out to me pretty much daily saying, how are you doing video? How do you get the captions on there? When should I post? All these questions. And at first I was just more than happy to help, which I always am happy to help people. But then I realized there's actually more to this and I could teach people the blueprint that I've used and then replicate it in other businesses. So I run workshops. That business is called EW Education. I kept it very generic and open because it's going to grow into something more. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn workshops to teach people how to actually have clients come from LinkedIn, which I've been able to do multiple times just through content. I love it. I love it. And I love your content. I watch all of it. I consume okay. it basically. Uh, okay. Because you're really honest and you're authentic and you're real. <clears throat> and I think that's that's very appealable. Um, I don't even know if that's a word. Appealing. It is yeah. now. Appealable. <laughs> God, I don't know what's going on. Uh, and uh, so now I just want to go a little bit backwards because <laughs> I'm, I'm cheating again, but I know that there's a story behind this story because you didn't actually start out thinking that you were going to be a buyer's advocate 
or be teaching people about LinkedIn. So can we just go back to the start and hear how it all started, what your journey was? Yeah, so I guess the most obvious place to start is after graduating university. So I, I moved, I'm originally from Tassie, moved to Melbourne to complete a degree in primary school education and arts. Um, I landed my first job in education recruitment. So I didn't go into the classroom. I did a couple of substitute days and realised, mm, probably not my thing, um, and went into recruitment, which I loved. I was in a sales role, an area manager for a certain patch of Melbourne. Um, fast forward two years, I moved across to another corporate um, doing a similar sort of role, you know, that sales, I was a team leader, um, so I'd had management experience. And through that process, I bought my first investment property. Now, um, that was a great experience for me. I researched a lot, but through the process, I was like, surely, how do people know this stuff? You know, like no one teaches you how to buy a house. Um, you could YouTube it, but I don't think you'd get too many good answers. So um, at that same time, it coincided with finding out about uh, the Buyers Agent Institute. So this was this, um, I guess, movement to help educate people about how to be a buyer's advocate. And I spent two hours on the phone to the guy who runs it. Um, I remember I was sitting in my car for two hours after one day of work. And I was like, right, this, this is it. Like, there's such a lack of representation in the market. Um, I love property, absolutely love property. And I've always wanted to run my own business. So this makes sense. And that all sounds well and good in theory. I mean, it hasn't been smooth sailing, let's be honest. Um, uh, I think the biggest thing I realised now that was the biggest risk I took, I quit my job too early and I didn't have enough funds behind me. I thought I knew what I needed. Um, on the flip side of that, I'm so glad I quit when I did because I wouldn't, there never would have been the best time to do it. And it pushed me to really big time um, to be able to, to stay afloat. So that's the journey in a nutshell. <laughs> um, yeah. it. So it sounds like you made this massive decision. How old were you when you made that decision to quit your corporate job and start your own business? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, well, I'm 27 now and I started the business in 2018, so 25, but I started the course before then, so I was 24 when I sort of started the process. I was 25 on September 1st, 2018 was my first day out and about. Well, I love that you remember that. So many people remember their first day or the, it's like a big moment in their life where they're like, holy shit, I'm yep. now a business owner. So yep. it's pretty, it's pretty scary. So. Uh, you said something really interesting about you felt like you quit your job too early. This is one of the things that a lot of people grapple with, especially mm. I speak to. They hate their corporate job. They've just spent all this money doing a degree that my dad calls a degree a tissue in your pocket because everyone's got one. And, <laughs> and they're like, oh, but I want to start my own business. And that transition from I need money and need to eat and pay my rent to I want to start a business, what would be your advice for people who are in that space at the moment? I would speak to, this is probably what I failed to do, speak to someone who is maybe 12 months ahead of you. So they're in the same field as what you're going into. 
and speak to find out who those people are trust me they'd be very given of their advice because they probably wanted that advice um, when they started um, seek those people out and just have a really honest conversation you know how long did it take to land your first client what did cash flow look like um, I think having a budget and a handle on your personal finances is important, but business finance is a whole different piece. And the, you know, the setup costs for different businesses can be quite big. Um, so yes, I would seek out the advice of someone who's a year ahead of where you want to be um, and work out a model based on that of what you actually need in the bank to survive. Cause you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to quit and regret quitting. Um, because of the financial stability. So make sure you've got that in place properly. Um, but almost, oh, it's such a, it's such a uh, two sides to this because yes, you need that, but also if you wait to the perfect moment, you will never quit your job. So you need to be okay with the fact that there is gonna be some uncertainty. You're gonna be nervous about money for some period of time, but you will learn to be comfortable with it over time. Um, and you know, if you want to make it work, and it does happen. I think that's really good advice. Walking in the shoes of someone who's done it before, like getting a mentor, mm -hmm. I think is so important for anyone in business. And yes. I think in this day and age, um, there's so much information that you can get your hands on. There's so many little courses that you can do online. Oh, Everyone yeah. in the world is selling Facebook courses. Um, to do pretty much anything and everything and like I'm addicted to doing those little courses and I think that if you want to learn how to do something like that at the moment I'm learning click funnels so I'm really oh, yep. watching I use Entreport but just that whole theory and how to maximize all of that stuff like that shit used to be reserved for the big boys and people had lots of money to invest in these yep. really slick marketing systems. But what we live in a world now where pretty much anyone can start a business and you can also pretty much do anything you want. Like if you want to build a website, you can just get some kind of website platform and they, they design it for you and you just put in the information. So uh, yep. really great information. Um, or advice that you should get a mentor and get the skills and the knowledge. But mm. I guess you, touched, you already touched on it that it's not going to be smooth sailing and there's going to be some challenges along the way. What have your biggest learnings been? I think my biggest thing is that I underestimated. So I've come from, a, from an education and recruitment industry into the real estate industry there are no parallels in terms of contacts in this right yeah. the real estate agents aren't hiring teachers you know they're just not you know so um i think number one challenge was establishing a personal brand in a brand new area uh, and a lot of people will be doing this, you know, if they're in a corporate job, a nine to five, that's a very mundane job, chances are their aspirations lie in a different field, um, in a different industry. So I think the biggest challenge I faced early on was how do I get my name out there? And there's never too much content, in my opinion. You know, I still don't think I'm doing enough content. I genuinely believe I could be producing more content than I am. And people go, well, how is that even possible? You're always posting, I always see your face. I feel like I know you. That's great. I need you to know more of me, you know? Um, so I think that's one of the biggest challenges um, if you are moving into a new industry. Um, 
The second one, which is a big one, uh, is that finance piece. Um, so I, I posted a video actually, oh, must have been over a year ago now, but when I first started business and I then realized, okay, clients don't come that easily. It's not like you open up shop and they walk through the door. Um, I actually started driving Uber and that's what it took to get me by. And the reason I chose Uber was I could work, I could do that when I wanted to do that. Um, and it worked well because I actually got to see more of Melbourne, more houses as I was driving around, um, streets that I hadn't been in. And I wasn't afraid to do that. I think the biggest thing is people let pride get in the way. You know, what are people going to think if I'm driving Uber? I can't, you know, it's kind of my friends I'm doing that. Um, so I think if you can just worry about yourself, stop worrying about what everybody else thinks, you know, your opinion of that, you know, if it makes you, if they think you're less or that you're not getting low enough or, you know, you have to do things get by. And um, driving Uber is something I had to do. It had to be done. It was a way to get income. And um, I'm so grateful I had to do that. I'm lucky that that was there for me. So, yeah, I think they're probably two big ones. Um, Amazing. I, I love that, that you were an Uber driver. I didn't know that. And, um, I'm impressed. And also, a good way to meet clients, potentially, people who might be buying a house. Did you get any clients? I got to give out two business cards. Like, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, imagine jumping in an Uber with me. Okay, like, yeah. picture your Uber driver and then picture me. Yeah. Like, oh, are you studying or do you, why do you drive Uber? And then that starts a conversation. So, um, I did get through that. I didn't get any clients from it, but, you know, you learn a lot. I think it was that for sure. That's awesome, and I think that that's a really good message there, that you've got to do whatever it takes and be hungry, and if that means getting a side job to finance you, you know, going and working in um, a bar or a cafe or whatever, like when I bought my first property when mm -hmm. I was 26, I worked on the weekend in a bar on Friday and Saturday night, so I didn't have any weekend. And yeah. I was working at Holden in, like, I was in a HR advisor role, so it's pretty stressful. Like, it wasn't like I had mm. something, but it was, I just really wanted to buy a house. So, like, you've got to do, got to do the work, man. You 100% have to. And my brother was talking to me about this recently because he was oh, a mad cool investor and he's only 20, like, he's miles above where I was at that age. But he was saying, you know, living like, this isn't forever. Living this couple who totally can enjoy those years of Um And I think that's so important to realise that hustling is a temporary thing. Life is going to be hustled all the time. You hustle yeah. hard and the rewards come and I'm trying to do that now where I have a much better balance. Had I not done, you know, a year and a half of like a lot of hours, um, I probably wouldn't be in this position. I agree, and I think that um, a lot of people want to run their own business or they want to be an entrepreneur, but they underestimate the actual amount of work and the sacrifice it takes. Like some people say to me, oh, it must be so amazing. You must have so much flexibility and free time and, God, it just be so stress-free. 
you know, having your own business. I'm like, mm, oh, yeah, yeah, I think you'd expect that. Very stress free. Yeah, not really. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm glad that I look like I'm stress free because yeah. <laughs> so you touched on something before that I want to talk about, and that is. Sure using LinkedIn to build your personal brand because I think that that's been done exceptionally well to the point where I feel like I've known you for 10 years and we've never met. And that is the power of these platforms, isn't it? That it's free, essentially. You can create a profile and build a following and talk to them every single day. And then when it comes to selling something, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy from Emily Wallace because... I know her, I trust her, I like her, and yeah, we go way back. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, LinkedIn is just an amazing platform. Um, the way I sort of landed in LinkedIn land, I guess, is I had an experience with it when I was in corporate, um, seeking out potential decision makers to reach out and message them, but I never posted content because I was under an umbrella of a company and it probably didn't even cross my mind, to be honest with you. Um, I attended an event to do with social media. I think it was like one of those ones, you know, where they upsell you the next thing and the masterclass and whatever. I didn't get upsold, but I just took on board the information they gave me in the free session. And I was like, okay, I'm going to investigate these platforms further. And at the time, so September 2018, LinkedIn video had only been around for three months. It came out, you know, July 2018. So it was a new thing and I didn't even know that um, at the time. And when I started posting and seeing the reach on videos, I was like, I'm not even paying for this to be advertised. I'm getting thousands of views just for putting my point of view across. Like, this is crazy. Um, so then I started to add some structure to it. You know, I've got Top Tip Tuesday. That's a minimum expectation. I have a video out every single week. Um, and it really evolved um, because it just, I started to see people messaging saying, I really like the content. I'm not even interested in buying a house, but I really like listening to what you have to say or um, the content that does the best, the content that is not industry specific. So for example, we were speaking offline before about the post I put up, um, it was a picture of me graduating. Um, that post has had like 17,000 views or something and you know, all this rich messages on the back. Um, I think there's a fine line on LinkedIn, you have to be professional, it's not, it's not an Instagram or a Facebook. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know how to explain how I know where that line is. I just know that if I think maybe about posting it, I don't post it. It's just yeah. going to be yeah, yeah, let's go ahead. So what's your advice for people who are worried about putting content out there? Because I think that a lot of people are really scared to, to do a video and Put, put this content out there that's basically up there forever and ever and it's mm -hmm. irremovable and I know when I started posting content um, I was really worried about what people thought of me and not really people I knew um, sorry not really people I didn't know it was more the people I knew and I got a few comments from friends or family saying oh god you're doing so much content on LinkedIn it's I'm like kind of being a bit judgy um, and what would be your advice for people who are feeling like that? Because I, I, I don't think I'm alone there. 
I don't think you're alone at all. Um, I have to be honest with you, I struggle with understanding it because I've just never known any other way but to post what I feel like posting and I actually do not care what anyone has to say or think about it. Because to me, people's opinions of what they're putting forward, you know, you mentioned people being judgmental. That judgment comes from something to do within themselves. It's not to do with you. It's actually not at all to do with you. It's to do with the fact that maybe they wish they could post content like you and they're not as bold enough to do it. Maybe they have insecurities about the way they present themselves. There's an array of reasons as to why they would put a negative comment against something positive that you're doing. And I think, yes, people worry about what people are gonna say. What's, I always say this, when people say, but I just can't post content, I just can't do it. What is the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, I love that. I send it to people all the time. Um, what, someone's going to put a nasty comment and that's going to upset you. Is that really the worst thing that could happen? Exactly, exactly. I remember getting a few nasty comments um, on some things that, that I... Because I write about millennials, so it's quite, it's quite controversial. Like, all the sure. Just jump on and they're like, Because yeah. <laughs> I'm... I'm promoting millennials saying how amazing they are and that obviously rubs them up the wrong way. And yes. I was getting um, all these needy comments and I was getting quite upset and I was working with a coach at the time, Maureen Cowan. I don't know if you know Maureen. She's Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Maureen, yes. Yeah, and she said to me something that I'll never forget. She said, uh, if you've got people writing negative comments and trying to like give you negative feedback, it means that you're a little bit famous and that obviously touching a nerve and she's like so just don't sweat it who gives a shit and I was like yeah actually that is a really good way of looking at it I'm obviously sparking a debate and that's what the content's meant to do right it's meant to spark some kind of thinking or emotion or hook people in and that's the whole purpose of what you're trying to do and obviously build rapport with people without actually having to meet them yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so true. And uh, look, I think for every negative comment that you get, you probably get 10 positive ones. People, people, their perception is negative is here and, and positive is here in terms of volume. It's actually the complete opposite way around. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I think the you're getting in the way of yourself by not putting the content up. You're literally getting in your own way because imagine the exposure that you could get by broadcasting to a network for free that also has a network and it goes first, second, third, it goes out. It's just um, insane, the possibilities. And um, I'd hate to think how many people have missed opportunities by not posting. Yeah, I agree. So the message is if you've got a business and you want to build your personal brand, get onto LinkedIn and stop talking about it. Now, I want to segue into a different conversation now. Yes. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the property market because Ooh, yeah. property guru <laughs> and um, everyone is wondering what the hell the market is going to do post-COVID-19. What's it doing now? Are people, like I've heard that the market's going to drop in value 30% everyone's doomsday, like we just had the announcement today that we've officially gone into a recession. So what does this all mean, Emily? Look, um, 
for people listening, look up a hashtag called Oz Property Alive, spelt with an O-Z, Oz Property Alive. So basically what the property um, industry has done, we've found this hashtag to show pictures of the amount of people lining up at open homes and the activity that's happening right now. To right, put the hashtag it up. So it's Oz. Oz Property Alive, all one word. Um, now I can't take credit for this. This came from... Um, Ben Kingsley and Bryce Holdaway, um, who run the Property Couch, very famous property podcast. There's a plug for them. Um, but uh, what the media isn't reporting on is the fact that there are lines to get into open homes. I'm competing against multiple offers for properties. There are multiple hands going up at auctions and things are selling at the very least within the quoted range, more often than not above the quoted range. And the problem is we have a supply and demand issue. There are not enough properties for the volume of buyers. Um, so right now, I don't see that evening out anytime soon. I speak to agents daily that give me updates. You know, where are your listings at? What vendors have you spoken to? There is no way in this world that the number of properties on market will match the number of buyers before the end of the year, in my opinion. Wow, okay. And then what about um, after all of this government support and stimulus and everything yep. all ends? I think that there is a fear that, um, that the market will, there'll be like an aftershock essentially. What are your thoughts around that? Look, I'm not an economist or anything like that. My my logical thought around this is if people do uh, fail to pay their mortgage repayments and the bank takes ownership of the property and the bank, it has to be a bank sale, mortgaging possession sale, these sales will not be popping up until February next year. If you think about it, September the payments hit. Okay, now we've got a delay on our September payment that rolls into October. They get hold of it by December. They have to appoint an agent. They have to appraise it. There's a whole, it's not just, we don't pay our mortgage now, houses on the market. Like it just, that's not how it happens. Um, there's a process and a lot of paperwork involved in those sorts of things. So um, I predict that there will be a, a, an influx of stock towards February, March potentially of 2021. But I still don't believe it's going to outweigh the buyers. And until it happens, then we flip into a buyer's market when there's, um, you know, more stock than there are buyers. That'd be great. Don't get me wrong. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, but I think that's a next year thing, certainly not a this year thing. And so what, what, where does this supply and demand problem come from? How, how do we have a supply and demand problem in Australia? I, I just don't get it. I'm not, I'm not a property specialist or an economist, but I'm fascinated by this stuff. Certainly. So I think the biggest thing at the moment is there's so many first home buyers in the market. So you look at one household who's now dispersing into two households, you know, um, and there's a lot of first home buyer activity. Young professionals who have got stable jobs who are looking to purchase. And when I say first home buyer, I don't mean sub 750K. A lot of people put them in that bracket because of the grants and because of the exemptions. Not the case. A lot of first home buyers, I'm helping a first home buyer at the moment who is spending up to two mil. So first time buying a house, you know? So um, I think the biggest thing is we've got those, we've also got investors. So investors have their own property, plus they want to you know, buy more. 
Uh, I just think that a lot of vendors are sitting tight at the moment. They don't want to move out of their house, not particularly fond of a, a change in house right now. However, if you really think about it, everyone has just spent more time at home than they ever have. So that to me, you either end up come out loving your house because it's spacious and you've got plenty of room for the kids, or you go, oh my God, we cannot live here anymore. We need to get out. Yeah, so I feel like that. That's how I'm feeling right now. We um, yeah. <laughs> we're just about to knock our house down and build two townhouses before. This. Oh wow! Yep. And yep. literally, like we've gone to VCAT. It's taken four years to get the plans approved. We've got the building drawings, everything, and then this yep. whole thing, and we're like, oh. oh. Oh goodness! You would well. That was you know you almost so close to getting that achieved, and now it's not there. So that would be tricky. So now we're in this position of, um, and the reason I was asking these questions was to obviously share your knowledge with everybody, but it was very selfish of me because I was like, <laughs> because we're in a situation where we're like, do we do this? Because the whole purpose is is for us to become mortgage free, so we would sell yep. property. And, awesome. and so we're thinking, do because it, it's not going to be built for another 12 months from the mm-hmm. start. So what's the market going to look like in 12 months? Is that the right time to be doing this? Or should we just wait? Because we love where we live and we love the area. So the government just announced, I think, today or yesterday that if you renovate your house and spend 150 grand, they'll give you $25,000. And I also yeah. think that if you build a brand new home on a... Um, like house and land package, they're also going to give you some money. So what's that all about? To be honest, it's on my list of videos to create for tomorrow with Dan, my videographer, to learn more about it because I've just like heard as much news as everyone else has in terms of the headlines and stuff. I haven't di- uh, had even had a chance to dig deeper on it just yet. It sounds great. Um, one aspect I do know is that for enhancing your current home, it can't be used for external um, things such as a pool or a tennis court or any additions to the property. It has to be to enhance the existing. Um, but keep posted because I actually am going to properly research this it's on my list for between now and 11.30 tomorrow um, to provide a proper video update on what's actually what that 25K actually can be used for and how it will be dispersed and also what caps are being put on it because it can't they can't have it unlimited, surely. No, surely not. But um, yeah. so I, I ask like about, I do this all the time. I'm, I'm not very good at interviewing people. I ask three questions at once, which is pretty funny given I've got to know how to do a job with you for one. step back. So what do you think the market's going to look like in 12 months' time? And yeah, do you think that a townhouse would reach mm-hmm. its maximum like sale price in 12 months' time or would it be better? I'm, I'm not asking for personal advice, but I kind of am. Um, <laughs> better to wait what happens and just sit on it for five, ten years and then do it later. The honest answer is no one knows what the market's going to look like in 12 months. Um, we could speculate, and my speculation would be that um, we need to see where the stock levels are at. If the stock's still low, 
it's still it's a great selling market. If the stock levels increase and we get a lot of those bank sales, and you know there's more market, uh, more stock coming to market, then it's a buyer's market and it's not as attractive. Um, I my best sort of uh, opinion would be to keep an eye on stock levels, uh, and those those are listed also usually. Um, Realestate.com send out a summary every Saturday of the. Um, private sales stock levels and the auction stock levels as well as obviously the, the actual percentage of the clearance rate um, I would track those very carefully um, to see are we are we turning are we seeing more stock coming through or are we actually going down on stock if we're going down on stock great time to be building and selling if we're going up on stock I mean worst case you could always rent it out keep an eye on the rental market true true yeah. And thanks for that advice, not advice. Not advice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what have you got coming up in the future? What's your vision for your businesses? Because you've kind of got two businesses. You've got the buyer's advocate business and then yep. you've also got this training business. So where do you want to be in five years' time? What's the big goal? So it's a very timely question. I've got a meeting with my business coach next Friday to map out the next financial year. And to me, I, I couldn't even tell you what I'm doing on Saturday yet. Like I live so in the moment of everything that's going on that yes, I have to plan as a business owner because I need to know what's happening. Um, but five years time is almost too, too far out for me to know. What I would love, like what life looks like is um, being able to travel yeah, like being able to travel when I want to travel, um, having the freedom that I still have at the moment, you know, my, my days run as I set them out pretty much. Um, and I think uh, I'm certainly working towards, you know, a financial freedom piece where I can really work because I want to work. And I will, I, I will work until my body doesn't move anymore, you know, like I love, I love working and I have to be busy all the time. Yeah, you can tell what you do, and that's the beauty about having your own business is that you get to live your purpose and do what you love every single day, and then it actually doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to feel like that. So, what's your advice to them? Stop thinking and start doing. Uh, like people say, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, you know, oh, maybe I could. You know, just do it. Like, and back to that that phrase I always say, what is the worst thing that could happen? Exactly, exactly. And it's so funny because most people are really driven and they're, they're pretty successful. It's like, so you're really good at what you do. You're really successful in every other job that you've ever had. Why would you not be successful in this one? And you know what? If it doesn't work, you can also always go and get another job. Like, I know plenty of people who try to run their own business. I don't think it's for everyone. I think that you need mm -hmm. a certain melody type is what my my observation would be you yes. need to be self-made motivated you need to be um, you need to be willing to do the hard yards and yes you need a certain appetite for risk and mm. certainty because you're going to get a lot of that would be yeah on that one yeah i would definitely agree and i think look it's easy for me to say in that I don't have any dependents, no kids, no partner. So the risk for me personally is very low. 
to maintain, you know, myself. I understand when people hesitate when they do have kids and partners in the mix, particularly if their salary has been a large contribution to the household. I, I totally get that, and it is harder. Um, but obviously, being um, a target market of millennials, if there are people who are in the similar description to myself, you're so lucky. You're so lucky, and you're not probably going to have that opportunity again. So, I would take it. In the worst case scenario, you end back in end up back in a job which is your current scenario. So is it really that bad? Exactly, that's great advice. Like you should do it, do it when you're young and you can, and you don't really have that financial um, burden or commitments. Great advice there. I could literally talk to you all day about this stuff. um, Probably a great way to end. Um, Just do it, get out there, make it happen. Um, So if people want to find you and learn more about what you do, where can they do that? So obviously very active on LinkedIn, just type in Emily Wallace, I should pop up. Um, Instagram is, I'm continually posting Instagram stories about my days, about just, you know, things that I come across that I think are worth sharing. It's very different content to LinkedIn content. So feel free to follow me on there. Um, And you can find me on my website, it's just my name, emilywallace.com.au. Amazing. Are you going to be running any um, more LinkedIn stuff in the coming months? Well, I hope, I really want to run it face to face again because the online one was good. We had a great turnout, but my goodness, I much prefer a classroom style. It takes you back to my teaching days um, in a really nice venue in Melbourne. So um, keep posted across any of those channels. You'll find out about the next one coming up. Um, but I need to get in contact with the venue to see, you know, what the social distancing rules are going to be. Um, with that and uh, I really do want to host another one in the coming months uh, definitely before September would be would be the goal I love it watch this space I would love to attend one of your LinkedIn events I think I think I need a bit of a brush up on my yep. skill um, thank you so much I really appreciate you giving us your time and your knowledge it's been amazing you uh, inspiring i i'm so impressed that you've achieved so much in your very short life and every time i have a conversation with a young millennial entrepreneur i seriously learn something so i absolutely love doing this and i just want to really thank you no thank you so much for you know taking the time to have me on as well it's it's been a pleasure and um i hope out of this that someone listening takes something takes an action um on something maybe they've been sitting on for a while and uh just gets out there and does it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Emily. No worries. Thanks for having me. I'm Emily Jacks. Thanks for listening to the Purposely podcast. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to leave us a review and see you all next time.